thank you, Lord God, because you love us. I want to thank you, Lord God, because you want to speak to us, that you want to do great things. Uh, so, Father, we constantly come to you in prayer uh, because we need you. Uh, we constantly come in prayer, Lord, because uh, we want to be near you. We want to be drawn closer to you, Lord. So we ask you today, Lord, that you would uh, just draw in nearer to us, Lord God, as we continue to push, Lord. Uh, Lord God, as we uh, attempt to leave all those things behind that have a tendency to drag us down and discourage us. Uh, this is why, Lord God, we say, as the scripture says, uh, that I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Uh, so, Father, we are glad uh, to be in your house today. Uh, we are excited, Lord God, and we anticipate a great word from heaven for us. Have your way in our midst today, and we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Fascinating stories in Scripture. Scriptures from early on to late on, it speaks of these births over and over again. And you would have to not have your spiritual eyeglasses on, not to realize that there's something inherent in these births that is meant for our spiritual growth, and that's meant for us as well. If we fail to see the birth of Christ and what it entails, if we fail to see the birth of Abraham's children, if we fail to see uh, the plethora of uh, births coming in from the impossible situation. Uh, somehow we miss something along the way. Well, today we begin our series called The Miracle of Christmas. Specifically today, uh, you're going to hear about a birth that removes reproach. A birth that removes reproach. What is that about? Uh, what is so significant about that type of birth. Well, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to begin with verses 24 and 25. Luke chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Elizabeth and reproach. Elizabeth and reproach. The scripture reads, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Well, as you know, for most women, Conception is no problem. Conceiving a child is no problem. Uh, but for some, it is difficult. In fact, uh, for some, it's uh, at the point of impossible. Elizabeth, uh, here in our passage, she was finally able to conceive, which again, under normal circumstances, really isn't much. I mean, what does it take? to have a baby except for a man and a woman uh, to uh, do what they do. 
for her to become pregnant. So why is the situation about Elizabeth so special? It says here in Luke chapter 1 verse 18, look what Zechariah, her husband, said. And he spoke this to the angel. He said, how shall I know this? In other words, the angel told uh, him that uh, you and your wife, you're going to have a baby. But he says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. A translation says that Zechariah was an old man. But get what it said Specifically what he said about Elizabeth. He did not say that I am an old man and she's an old lady. The passage says that I am an old man and she is what? Advanced in years. Why doesn't Zachariah simply say that they both were just two old fogies? And if you don't know by now, Advanced in years is a euphemism for old age. In other words, Zechariah really just wanted to say that my wife is just old. I'm old and, and she's probably older than I am. But as you know, some ladies don't like to discuss their age. You ask a lady, how old are you? Right, Sister Angie? And they'll say something like, I'm as young as I want to be. You ask them, well, how, old am I, how old are you? And some will tell you, as they have told me, get out of my business. Because it's none of your business. It took a long time for me as a kid to learn that le lesson. Never to ask a lady how old she is. But as my wife will tell you, sometimes I forget that lesson. I'll ask anyway. It's because I forgot. Ladies, uh, don't like discussing their age. Uh, maybe they just don't want to be seen as being old. Well, that's also true with some men. Uh, some men, they cut their hair off all the way. Some ladies, they dye their hair. Some men, they dye their hair because they want to seem as young, younger than what they appear to be, or what they really are. So God's Word understood the sensitive nature of Elizabeth's heart, Elizabeth's heart, as it reflected the situation she had been in for a long time. Zechariah, because he was the one who provided this information, maybe he was hinting at that he was partially to blame for not being able to have a child. Because we know now, with modern technology and modern science, that sometimes it can be the man's fault. Amen? Or shall I say the man's fault? Men, do you like that? Uh, sometimes it can be because uh, the issue with the guy in the relationship. So, nevertheless, Scripture seemed to be nicer to Elizabeth than it was Zechariah concerning old age. But as we look at verse 25, uh, verse 24, after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. Why do we keep ourselves 
our blessings hidden. When they finally arrive, why don't we want to share what God has done in our life? Up to this point, Elizabeth was unable to have a child. But now she was pregnant and didn't want anybody to know? How can you be 70 or 80 or 90 years old and wanting a child all of your life, and then you're finally 70, 80, or 90 years old, uh, not want to tell anybody what's going on? Why is this? This is an important time in the life of any woman. To be pregnant with a child after many years of trying to conceive. Why would she want to hide the fact that she is pregnant? Well, scripture, and I need to emphasize this, Scripture doesn't tell us this explicitly. It doesn't tell us this is the reason why, but we can certainly take a good guess using our sanctified imagination. One reason we can say that she was trying to hide her pregnancy was because it's not a thing that typically happened to all women. Right? Uh, especially uh, most of these women, they lived a very tough life. So when they were finally able to conceive a child, uh, that it was a blessing. So one thing for certain, and that is Elizabeth, that she gave up the joy of being a mother-to-be for those five months. Uh, the idea that during those five months that she could have celebrated with her family and friends. Look, I'm having a child. Look, I'm having a child. Uh, well, maybe she didn't want to tell anyone because uh, maybe she would think people would, thought she would be an old fool. What would it look like, can you imagine in your mind, to have an older woman? 70, 80, 90 years old, walking around three, four months pregnant. What would you think? In it all, she waited until God allowed the plan to be made known. Uh, so what I'm saying is that, that God wanted his plan to be revealed at a certain time. When it became unavoidable, People would notice, Elizabeth, it looks like you had a lot to eat or you got a baby going on there. When they began to talk, uh, it looks like this old lady, this woman of advanced years, uh, might be having a baby. When it became unavoidable, then of course uh, she would say, yes, I'm with child, yes, I can no longer hide myself. But I believe, again, that this was a part of God's plan. The fact that she had to hide this pregnancy. And, and the reason I say, again, that this was part of God's plan, because look at what happened to Zechariah. Do you recall what happened to him? Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Right? Again, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife advanced in years. Verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, 
which will be fulfilled in their time. Look at that. So the news came to Zechariah, your wife is going to have a baby. Zechariah says, for uh, how can this be? This doesn't make sense. I doubt this very seriously. Why? Because I'm old and my wife is old. Zechariah said, no, within me, this is not going to happen. But then, uh, recall what Gabriel said. He said, uh, but I am Gabriel. You see that? Uh, Zechariah said, I am an old man. Gabriel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. So Zechariah said, look, I'm a man and I know better. Zechariah says, I am an angel and I know better. So therefore, because you're not listening to me, and that phrase always uh, is amazing to me, when Gabriel says that I stand in the presence of God, understand what the angel says when he says that. An angel says, when he says, I, am, I stand in the presence of God, the angel saying, I'm here with you, but I want you to know I'm standing before God right now. So I'm in this, uh, this, this sphere, heaven and earth at the same time. God is, is, is looking at me. He's watching me as his messenger right now. I am Gabriel and I am. And he, he didn't say I did stand in the presence of God, did he? He said what? I am standing in the presence of God. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak, he says. Gabriel said, I hear you, Zechariah. And I hear all that doubt that you have about the power of God. But obviously you don't know who I am. And obviously you don't know who sent me. Because if you knew who I am and if you knew who sent me, then you would not doubt at all. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, never let doubt, uh, never allow the doubt of your present situation cast disbelief on what God can do for you today. Never allow doubt in your present situation cast disbelief about what God can do for you today. See, I know all of us, we have certain prayers that we're asking God for. We have certain answers that we're looking for and we're praying repeatedly, God, can you do this? God, can you do this? And, and, and what Gabriel is saying, he says, when God brings an answer, do not doubt. Do not be like a ship being cast by the wind to and fro and that you be anchored in Jesus Christ. But imagine if Elizabeth tried to conceive in our day. It was bad enough that she was advanced in years. The possibility that she could lose the baby. Or maybe her life would have been tragic for her and her family. So why risk it? Why take a chance of boasting when everything was going fine so far? Uh, you know how it is. Sometimes you know when you're expecting a blessing from God, you don't want to share that news with anyone. You tell yourself, or you tell others, let's just keep it under wraps. We don't want to tell anyone yet. We know the drill by now. Sometimes we don't want to share what God is doing currently because we want to make sure that everything will work out in the end. We want to make sure that we have heard accurately from God. 
We don't want to celebrate the fullness of what God is doing until it has happened once and for all. Therefore, the news of Elizabeth's pregnancy remained under wraps until the appropriate time. Verse 25. God, he looked on the reproach of Elizabeth. It wasn't so much a reproach of Zechariah than the reproach of Elizabeth. So even though uh, they as a couple were not able to conceive, uh, you see, for Zechariah, it wasn't that big of a deal. But for Elizabeth, this was problematic because she was a woman, and, and women are expected to have babies. Again, if a couple were unable to have a child, again, they wouldn't look at the man Typically, they look at the woman, and, and, and people would say, well, what's wrong with her? How come she can't conceive? And the woman may say, what's wrong with me? I'm faulty. She may say to herself, what is this reproach, though? What is this reproach? And why does Elizabeth, uh, why is she singled out among all others in the nation in the Scripture? Because of her barrenness and, uh, with this re reproach. Reproach. Some type of inner feeling or of embarrassment about one's shortcoming or failures. So Elizabeth, again, she felt as if she didn't measure up. She was disgraced. She felt shameful. Reproach says that you don't measure up and there's nothing that you can do about it. There's nothing like that in the world. There's nothing like it to think in your mind that you're not good enough. There's nothing like it in your mind to say that you are faulty in your individuality. There's nothing like saying to yourself that there's something wrong with me. God, why don't you fix this situation? So she feels the shame of this reproach. Because she wants to have this child. Imagine if you would how difficult it would have been for Elizabeth to be walking around in the market not being able to conceive and seeing another woman with a baby in her arms seeing another family with their quiver full of children spite in her heart wondering maybe I don't want to see anyone else's child for some women, it tears them apart on the inside. Something cries out within themselves, uh, saying that I really uh, want a child. This is why I was created. And for some, not being able to have a child felt like a curse. Deuteronomy 7, verse 14. Deuteronomy 7, verse 14. This is what the law states. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There, sh there shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. So the word of God says that if you are male or female, you shall not be barren. You will always be able to have children. Now we've studied this in our 
Bible study class, and, uh, but nevertheless, uh, I ask you the question. Uh, for Elizabeth and Zechariah, were they, were they living under the Old Testament or the New Testament? Which testament were they living under? Let's try it again. Elizabeth and Zechariah, were they living under the Old Testament or were they living under the New Testament? They were living under the Old Testament. So therefore, uh, the law had an impact on their psyche. They realized that if we're not able to have a child, it looks like we have been cursed because uh, to have children, that's what it means to be blessed. Under the law, the blessings of the Lord, including the ability to have children. So when that doesn't happen, you already know how you feel as a woman. And then, and when it doesn't happen, imagine when you read the law, or have heard the law being proclaimed, what thoughts would surge in your mind. It would feel like a curse. And again, this condition of never measuring up would be at the forefront of a woman who is barren. Remember what happened with Hannah the mother of Samuel the prophet. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And what I want you to do, I want you to find those passages in your Bible. I know we always broadcast them up behind me, but I want you to find those passages in your Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. We'll look in the table of contents. If you're not familiar where Samuel is, the passage reads, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. You see the correlation there, that when there is a lack of ability to conceive, it's because of what the Lord has done. Verse 6, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. See that? Uh, they understood that it was because of God had done something to her and because God had done something to her. Now, that is an open door for everyone else to provoke them, uh, to make fun of them, to mock them. Uh, you can't have a, a baby because God is mad at you or mad at your family for something. So now Elizabeth, uh, here in the New Testament, she hides herself knowing that God... Uh, now that she's pregnant, that God was doing a miracle in her life. This miracle was not only for her. Uh, check this out. Uh, the miracle was not only for her, uh, but also pointing to a subsequent miracle for the nation as well. Understand that sometimes a blessing for us is also a blessing for other people. Can you say amen to that? A blessing for us. When God blesses us, we're supposed to do what in turn? Bless other people. Well, you know, even if God didn't bless you, you're still supposed to do what? Bless other people. Love other people. So dealing with the reproach of Elizabeth, it was one step closer of dealing with the reproach or the shame of the nation. So again, this wiping away of Elizabeth's reproach was not just about her, but God had a bigger picture in mind, and that God was looking at something a lot grander than Elizabeth. Uh, again, never think that your blessing is just for yourself. 
other steps as a part of removing the reproach of the nation of Israel, including the wise men. The wise men were a part of the process. The shepherds, the angels, Zechariah's prophet, which is coming up, and of course, the literal birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is ultimately what all of this is pointing to, and it's not just about uh, the existence of Jesus Christ, but about uh, what he would achieve uh, for the human race. It's not just because of that act, it's about what he would do for you and me. All of this is a part of God's trajectory. His trajectory of delivering healing to a nation as a whole and delivering healing to individuals who are a part of that nation, nation and ultimately delivering healing to all of us. But for Elizabeth, though, you see, Elizabeth, all she cared about was uh, having her child. Do you think that she was worried about what would happen to the nation? Well, maybe. But one thing I guarantee you that she was praying for constantly, and that was the ability to have a child. She wasn't concerned about getting the reproach of the nation eradicated, but only concerned about her reproach as a woman, her reproach, her shame, her disgrace as a wife. So this drives us back to that one question. And that is, why do we need to be whole in the first place? That wholeness is a sense of living for your full purpose, walking in the ways that God has gifted you. Why do we really need to be made whole? This removal of reproach for Elizabeth as a woman, that it was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. And it delivered joy and fulfillment for the couple. Moving on, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. We move on from the story of Elizabeth. Now we transition to the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary discerned the potential of reproach eradication through the birth of her son, through the birth of Christ. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see, what happened to Mary was also a blessing, as we know. And again, as, as, as powerful as what God was doing, the impact of this miracle, especially when you are a conduit for a miracle, affects us personally. 
You say this was a good thing, but Mary understood that this was also a good thing for her as well. She was a young woman who loved the Lord. But until that time, she probably lived just an average existence just like you and I. You know, going to the grocery store, cooking dinner, going to church, doing things that they did at the time. But then when, when God intervenes in your life, uh, things change. When God's voice speaks, when his voice speaks with clarity, things change in our life. And experiencing a breakthrough, specifically a breakthrough miracle, it moves us from average worship to above average worship. Can you say amen? What are you saying? What I'm saying is that if you just live your life, a humdrum life, everyday existence, and it seems like, you know, things are the way they always have been, and then you have this very middle-of-the-world worship. But when God does a miracle, all of a sudden your worship changes. All of a sudden you can no longer stand there and just let worship happen. Now you can be an active participant in ministry, in worship. Happened to me that my worship changed from mediocre, probably from less than mediocre, to above average. When God entered into my life, and God, He snatched me personally out of the grave, and how He brought me back to life. When God brought me, talking about myself, this is not a story about anyone else uh, other than me, uh, that when God brought me back to life, that my worship changed. My life went from average to above average. Not in the sense that I'm anything special, uh, but in the sense that now I understood. Uh, now uh, the God, the, the, the words of God became uh, clear to me. And now uh, the words began to leap and jump off of the pages. And now I was able to worship Him. You see, when God does the impossible in your life, your worship goes from average to above average. You can no longer stand there. You can worship the Lord. You can lift your hands to the Lord. You can say amen. You can say hallelujah because you know it is only because of him uh, that you were being able to be snatched from death itself. See, this is the life of Elizabeth. You're saying this angel came into my life and he says this is going to happen to me. She knew something was going on extraordinary. And now her worship began to reflect that. In fact, if you look at the subtitle in your Bible, you may see something called uh, the Magnificat. This deals with the worship of Mary. As with Elizabeth, Mary also looked at reproach eradication from the standpoint of a blessing. She knew within her spirit that this one-time interaction with God would change her life forever. She knew something would be different. She says what? In verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit 
rejoices in God, my Savior. I tell you, if God ever does an impossible thing in your life, I bet you would want to do the holy dance around this church. And I bet you any money and that you wouldn't care who looked at you. Amen. Uh, you do that dance and, and could care less. We sometimes, within our Christian circles, don't recognize the blessed nature of Mary due to the heresy of how some focus on her and what they say about her. But we must understand the significant position Mary takes within our faith. That Mary is indeed blessed and she is someone that we should recognize. Mary is not God because she is the mother of God. She is not God. Scripture never says that she is God. Only Jesus Christ is God. And God uses Mary, but she is not God. We are never to pray to her. She is not God, but she is blessed. Amen? And she has a significant place in our faith. Amen? We must recognize that. So the miracle of Mary's interaction with the Lord, it would also disable the power of reproach. She said it would exalt the humble for what she was. Uh, Mary was humbled, and she was humbled. And the humble are those who exist knowing it is by the grace of God that they go. Every day when you wake up, you know it is because of the grace and the mercy of God. This is why you exist. And then when the Lord recognizes your humility, it feels vindicating to a degree. It is not that you're humble waiting on God to lift you up. It is that you are humble because this is what God has called you, how he has called you to live can't become what the Lord wants us to become the day he decides to use us. In other words, don't just wait around. It says, when I know that God is going to come, then I'm going to change my life for good. You see, we change our lives now, and then in the process, God may decide to use us because we're already ready for him. We must always be what the Lord wants us to be as a lifestyle. And that's for believers today. And that's for us, the disciples of Jesus Christ. And the result of Mary's interaction with the Lord would fill the hungry with good things like blessings as people thirst for righteousness. It would also cause Israel to remember God's mercy as they had been always in the throes of constant challenges and constant struggles as a nation for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. The other side of God's miracle in the life of Mary was the oppressors paying for their dastardly deeds they shamelessly committed. You know, you know, sometimes you live your life and sometimes you wonder, when will they finally get theirs? You seem like, it seems like some people, they just get away with murder. And you know, you, you know, you really, you don't want anything bad to happen to people, do you? Say no, and I'll feel better. You really don't want anything to happen to people. You know how that goes. Sometimes in the back of our minds, it seems like some people, they just get away with murder. And it seems like sometimes, if I just do the, uh, the, the, the microest thing wrong, all of a sudden, everybody is down my throat. But for them, they get away with murder. 
But Mary says here in verse 51, beginning in verse 51, this whole passage, that the proud would be scattered in their hearts. It's an important point to distinguish. Again, we see the proud and the boastful that they're having their way over people who seem like they don't have a chance in life. Look, their actions would be stopped. It says their actions would be stopped in their hearts. So Jesus says when he comes that he's going to deal with their hearts that we may not be able to see it, but God is in the business of dealing with hearts. Next are those who believe they are rich or full of all they could ever really want or need, but they will discover that they are barren and empty inside. The pride that comes from riches or wealth is not a condition of the wallet or the bank account, but a condition of the spirit. It's a condition of the spirit. If the human spirit was has not experienced the fullness of God's Spirit, then it is poor. We are desperate or begging for something which does not know what it wants if it's not full of the Spirit of God's Spirit. The human spirit only knows it craves something far beyond what it can conceive at the moment. You know, I, I need something. I don't know uh, what it is. I, I need something uh, inside of me says, uh, I, I, I need to have something. And this is why in all cultures of the world, there are so many different expressions of people attempting to connect with some God or another with the hopes of being satisfied of their deepest spiritual cravings. And oftentimes when these cultures, they can't clearly identify who to worship, they end up worshiping nature or their own ancestors. That's what they end up doing. These acts are then perpetrated for generation after generation until they become unmovable traditions which taint the soul, the mind, the spirit, thereby driving many away from the true and living God because they never knew anything different. In fact, the Incas, as we were down there in Peru, that in one of their worship areas up here, thousands of feet in the air, at this altar, that their priests were able to minister for the people. This is how. At that altar, they were ministered to those who were in the heavens. And then, for the spirits that were on earth. And then, for the spirits that were under the earth. So they said this was their contact point between all three realms. And guess what? Not too far uh, from uh, that particular altar, uh, they had a, uh, uh, an altar of worship. Uh, they uh, had a, an area where they sacrificed a black goat. Because only a black goat had the blood that was pure enough. I guess to make atonement between heaven, earth, and the under-earth. See, within the heart of the human race, 
there is something that is urging and a desire to connect with something beyond ourselves. And if we are misdirected, then what happens with us, we begin to worship uh, these things that are not real. We begin to call upon them to help us when they are nothing but demons in disguise. That's why, of all the pictures you take, you'll never see me standing in front of one of those things. You'll never see me standing in front of that. Never. Because for them, that was their contact point, in my opinion, with a demonic. And I don't want nothing to do with that. Oh yeah, I looked at it and I heard the story because I wanted to hear it. But you see, within our hearts, we yearn for something more. We yearn for a God who is bigger than us. We yearn for a God who is stronger than us. We yearn for God that knows more than we do. We yearn uh, for God who wants to do something in our life. We want to be able to say that we are whole again. Uh, can you make us whole? But there, the Incas, they could never really say that I am whole. So Mary, uh, here in our passage, she could sing of God's mercy. This song, the Magnificat, she could sing this to the Lord. Uh, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Uh, she would sing this uh, unto the Lord, because the Lord has blessed her. God's deliverance from reproach. You see it also focused on three areas for Mary. The ability of God to bring about honor. The ability for people to celebrate the victory of the oppressed. And the ability of God to bring down the high-minded. What was once high will be made low. What was once low will be made high. Where do you find yourself? This is all at the heart and the potential of Mary. Because of the miracle child she would carry as he would take a unique place as Redeemer. Now the birth of John the Baptist it brought about a poetic prophecy directing us again to reproach removal. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Luke 1, 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath uh, that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of, the, of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way uh, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins 
because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He spoke of Jesus, and then he spoke about his son, John the Baptist, we are familiar with. So from that moment of doubt until the moment of John the Baptist's birth, Zechariah was relegated to silence. He was quiet. His wife didn't tell anybody she was pregnant. And the mouth of Zechariah was shut. Sometimes we talk more than we should, shouldn't we? Sometimes we just say too much. Sometimes you have to say, just shut up. Amen? And you're not talking to anybody else. You have to, you have to talk to yourself. Sometimes I, I tell myself that. Do you know that? Sometimes in a situation, I just tell myself, just shut up. Just stop talking. Stop talking. So if I'm talking to you, and if I, if I say something like, stop talking, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to myself. I'll let you know if I'm talking to you. Amen? But, but, but for me, I'll just say, stop talking. That's enough. You've said enough. You don't need to say one more word, no more syllables, just stop it. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, found himself in this place before he fully experienced the blessings of God in which he promised to him and his wife, which was this child. Originally, he heard from Elizabeth, and now we hear from Zechariah. We heard from Elizabeth, and now we hear from Zechariah. He finally speaks. So unusual. Because what did Joseph, the husband of Mary, say? How many words did we hear him say? Not much. Joseph was also a silent partner for the most part. All of these births point to the fact that salvation was on its way, not only for Israel, but also for the entire world. For the entire world, uh, reproach would be removed for all those who care to engage in the salvation arrangement that the Lord would put into place through the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, uh, these births, that they paid, uh, paved the way for reproach uh, for individuals uh, and also for a nation and also for us as a human race if we care to engage with Jesus Christ. Elizabeth, Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds, and all others, they point to Jesus Christ. They point to the coming of God in the flesh. For us, the birth indicates the removal of our reproach, the removal of our shame. If you are in Christ, no longer should you be shameful. No longer uh, are you uh, to be doubtful or uh, living in disgrace because Jesus Christ himself has came in the flesh for us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came in the flesh to remove our disgrace, to remove our reproach, Lord God. We thank you. We thank you, Lord God, because in him we live and move and have our being, and we know that we have not been living, we have not been moving, we have not had our being if we were not in Jesus Christ, but today we can say we live and move and have our being in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your forgiveness of sins. We thank you for coming to this earth to touch us. We thank you uh, for coming to this earth to grant us peace. Peace of mind and peace in our hearts, Lord God, uh, just minister to us.